Have you ever felt like the work you were supposed to love is instead sucking your soul and you aren't making the impact you always dreamed of making? If so, you aren't alone. From broke and underemployed to six figures plus, powered only by daydreams and grit, I realized I was burning out and my values of freedom, purpose, and making an impact were taking the backseat to my wallet. I realized that I needed to build my own field guide to awesome from the inside out. So I gave it all up and I traveled the world to rediscover what was most important to me and create a business that filled my pockets, filled my soul, and allowed me to multiply my impact. But the question is, how will I do it? Join me on my journey and find out as we build our community of experts and share the secrets of success from the inside out. My name is Trina Serechia, and this is The Field Guide to Awesome. Welcome back to The Field Guide to Awesome, folks. In our last episode, we spoke with Mari Suzuki, the KonMari of cooking, and author of the Amazon number one best-selling cookbook, Kitchen Wizard Flexipes. Mari shared how she overcame both imposter syndrome and depression to make her comeback using a combination of mindset and passion for teaching busy people fast, easy, and efficient ways to prepare healthy and delicious meals. If you missed it, make sure to check it out after this episode. And I'm so glad you tuned in for today's episode for my second conversation with Dr. Mary Veerkamp. Dr. Veerkamp is a peer-reviewed published researcher in the field of positive behavior interventions and supports. She is also a certified professional coach and is certified by the International Coaching Federation. Mary is passionate about working with women to flesh out the ways in which anxiety about imperfection, that anxiety that keeps them constantly pursuing self-improvement, is showing up for them and blocking access to the life they truly want to live. She is deeply committed to supporting women in navigating that tenuous terrain between self-acceptance and self-improvement so that they may be free from that anxiety of imperfection while leaning into their own enoughness, the beauty, radiance, and magnificence that already exists in them. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Mary Veerkamp. Welcome back, Mary. I am so happy that you came back for a second interview. I'm thrilled, and you shared so much valuable information the last time we spoke, and I'd like to dive in a little deeper with some of the gems that you shared. Thanks for having me back, Trina. I'm truly um, honored to be here with you today. Last time we talked a lot about perfectionism, self-compassion, and values-aligned action. Can you share a little bit more about the power of defeating perfectionism? Hmm. Where to start here? I think starting here, starting at the place of recognizing that perfectionism is really an outgrowth of our limbic system, right? And Mm. so our, our limbic system is the system that is our fight, flight, freeze system that's designed to keep us safe. It is a real neurobiological function that's essential in humans, right? We, we need that limbic system. To, we need it to function in a way that alerts us to danger, right? When, when, when we evolved as humans, we needed to know if there was a saber-toothed tiger lurking in the bushes. We needed, because connection and tribal affiliation was an important part of our survival, we needed to feel safe and connected in those ways. And so perfectionism is really an outgrowth in our modern time of that limbic system. 
And if it's not obvious how that is, how that's true, I'd be happy to go into that. In fact, let me just go into that. So it, it makes a little bit more sense because it's not necessarily an obvious leap. So perfectionism is the way that our problem solving mind looks for threat and danger in our environment all the time, constantly scanning for problems to solve, constantly scanning for danger. Except we rarely have to look out for saber-toothed tigers. We rarely, <laughs> right? We're not, that's not how, I mean, of course we're driving a car. We still need to be able to see that this car is coming over into our lane or there are actual real threats and dangers that we need that system to be on alert for. However, most of the time it's in overdrive telling us things that are threats that to our survival and or, you know, dangerous aren't actually. Right. So right. perfectionism is an outgrowth of that. We start to scan our environment to make sure everything we do is, is free of any possibility that people could criticize it. Or we start to constantly try to meet everybody's needs ahead of time so they can't say that we haven't met their needs. Or, I mean, there, there are so many possible constellations of how perfectionism shows up for people. But it really is it really is part of this system that is designed to keep us safe because if we can anticipate everybody's needs then we won't be outcasts from the group and if we can never make a mistake haha then we stand less chance of being criticized or publicly humiliated or any of the the terrifying threats that might seem loom large right if we are constantly doing jumping and dotting every I and crossing every T at work, then maybe there's no way we could ever get fired. Is this making sense how the perfectionism works? Beautifully. And I think it really super applies to entrepreneurs and especially new entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Because when I, I know, at least for myself as a serial entrepreneur, that when you create a new offering and you put it out, in everyone's view, sometimes you get people who criticize it and other times you get people who love it. And I think the difference is knowing who you are sharing that offering with and the people who criticize it, they're not your audience. Mm, great point. They're not your audience. I think it's powerful to have a stand to have even something controversial that you stand for and to be open to that criticism and to welcome it because criticism is going to happen no matter what. And let me ask you, Mary, I think you know this answer. I think we all kind of know this answer. Who <laughs> is our worst critic? Oh my gosh, ourselves. Yes. No, hands down, right? Yes. Yes. And the, beautiful thing about recognizing that is that when we are criticizing ourselves before we even put our offering out there, we're preventing the people who actually align with it, who would actually love and value what we have to offer from seeing it. Mm. Right. And even, even more than that, we're, we're keeping it from the people who could benefit from it. Yes. Yes. I'm going to bring in another lingo term, imposter syndrome. 
mm-hmm. you know, and the imposter syndrome is who am I to do this? Mm-hmm. And when you look at it from the other side, when you recognize that there are people out there who need what you're offering, who are you not to offer this? Who are you not to provide a solution to people who are out there looking for it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, such a great reframe, Trina. And that leads to another topic that you had brought up that I think is really powerful and goes wonderfully with perfectionism is self-compassion. Self-compassion is like my favorite thing to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) I'm setting you free for a couple (laughs) minutes on self-compassion. Yeah. So the interesting thing about self-compassion is in my experience is that people who are really tightly identified with their perfectionism often resist the self-compassion the most. Yes. And I had to, I had a I had a little bit of a hard time understanding that at first, but then it started to make sense to me. And what I realized, what I found to be true in my experience was that we do, I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier, we do tend to believe somehow that if we are kind to ourselves, then we will lose our edge. Right? Like if we, mm. you know, and I, and so I think that self-compassion maybe has not a bad rap, but is misunderstood, I guess is the best way to put it. Right. So I, if I may, I think self-compassion is often misconstrued with the negative connotations of selfishness. Uh, that's probably, yes, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And I think that it also gets tangled up in sort of this, um, oh, there, there's a whole piece about self-care that can overlap here, but not self-care in the, in the way of not attending to things that need to be done or, you know, being irresponsible or mm. some of the extreme in, in the name of self-care, that's not really self-care, if that makes sense. It does. Um, so self-compa- what self-compassion truly is, um, is really just learning to be kinder to ourselves, accepting life as it is in this moment. We don't have to like it. We might not like it at all, but allowing it to be as it is and being kind to ourselves along with it. Hmm, let's say something has not gone the way that you would like it to go. And the tendency many of us have is to, to start, the, the, critic, the critic starts going, the inner critic starts going like, oh my gosh, you're so stupid. How could you have done that? What were you thinking? This is almost automatic, this negative mm. voice that will start criticizing us when things haven't gone how we wanted it to go, or you know, we've done a big presentation and maybe we made a mistake, or we went in for a job interview and we said something that afterwards we thought was maybe not the best thing to say, right? So we're human. That's what it boils down to. We're human. And what self-compassion does is then take that voice that is relentlessly badgering us and making us feel bad, judging ourselves harshly, and instead recognize and give ourselves the kindness that we might give to a friend in the same situation, right? So mm. 
if a friend came to us and said, oh my God, I just really screwed up that presentation. I can't believe I said X when it was supposed to be Y. Now everybody thinks I'm stupid, right? We would never say to our friend, oh my God, you're such an idiot. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> right? Am I right here? <laughs> you are right. You are right. Right? What would we say to them? What you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing when you recognize that, hey, you're, you're a good friend to everybody else, but how good a friend are you to yourself? Yeah. Yes, it's a simple concept, but it is not easy. It is not easy to make this U-turn back to being kind to ourselves. And so that's what it is though, right? At its core, we're taking that same situation where maybe like, let's just go back to this example of the presentation where something didn't go how we wanted to go. We said something that we wish we hadn't said or whatever. And in the, at the end of it, sitting down with ourselves and saying, Ooh, okay. All right. So that didn't go how I wanted it to go. If there, if there is legitimate reparation to be done, we can allow ourselves the kindness of reaching out to do that and saying, you know what, this, this is what I meant to say. I apologize. Like that's perfectly okay. So long as we're recognizing that we're not scurrying to make sure people still like us. Mm, like, yes. Right. And then really being, really dropping into our bodies and feeling how it feels to, uh, to allow and recognize that hurt place in us that feels badly, right? Just like as if we had watched somebody else do it and we were like, oh, I feel bad for what's happening. That, that must be hard. Mm. I think that's such a beautiful illustration of how when we're not being compassionate for ourselves in a situation like that where maybe we have messed up a presentation or we made a mistake in business and we allow ourselves to feel that compassion for ourselves when we're when we don't have that compassion for ourselves it's almost like it's a big brick wall and we can't see the opportunities to create some resilience, to create some way out, to create a place of compassion and opportunity. And mm. the moment that you drop into that place of self-compassion, you're recognizing that, hey, yeah, that didn't work out. How can I make it better though? You start seeing a pathway out. You start seeing a way to improve the situation. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it leads to opportunities. Yeah, it, it does lead to opportunities. And it's helpful in this place, I think, to the phrase that I have been working with here is everything is data. Mm. Right? So in that place of allowing yourself the space to recognize that it did not go how you wanted it to go and, and accepting like, this is how it is in front of me. I, I'm not going to fight it. Like, this is the reality. What can I learn from this? What do I want to take from this experience moving forward? What didn't work or, or go as I thought it might? And how willing am I to try again? Yes. Yes. And I think that's such an incredible transition 
and to values aligned action because perfectionism is breaking free of the fear of acting. It's instead of perfectionism, going with progress mm. and then having compassion, some self-compassion for yourself when things aren't perfect at first, mm-hmm. you know, when things don't turn out the way you expect them to and finding the opportunities to make those small improvements, then leading that into values aligned action to create that pathway into mm-hmm. something that is more aligned with your values, that is in basically action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I would love to a- address this by referring back to uh, the previous interview that you did with me. Because I, because I feel like this is a perfect example of this in my own life, right? So I'll just, I'll just put myself right on out there for, um, for the example. But in that first episode that we did, I talked about how I had moved to a new place and I was really contracted around this limiting belief of you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And it was really keeping me very small. It was keeping me from reaching out and getting to know people in my new community. It was keeping me from owning who I am as a business owner. It's, it's still, it's still a, a work in progress for me, owning this fact that I'm a business owner, but it was really very contracted. And as I came to recognize that this was what was going on, that I was so worried. I was stuck in the perfectionism of what people might think of me in this new place. They were going to get to know me only as the face of Mary Veer Camp Coaching, which was really frightening before when people knew me as Mary first. And then Mary Veer Camp Coaching just got folded in. Mm. It, didn't, it didn't create that same type of angst for me or you know, worry about not being perfect. And then as I moved to a new place where people were going to get to know those things potentially at the same time, it was very contracted for me. And so I did sink into that place of self-compassion and I spent a lot of time recognizing how it was feeling, how afraid I felt, how worried I was. It really felt like it was a survival thing for me. Like, oh my gosh, if I do this wrong that's it. I, there's no coming back from that. So I had to recognize and allow for myself, this hurts. Mm-hmm. It's really uncomfortable. And if I stay in this place, is it going to feel any better? And so this is where I started to really look to my values and create those values aligned actions that you were just talking to. So it was a little bit of a long winded segue in, but I wanted to set <laughs> set the stage for what, how that, you know, the prog, the process of that. So as I, as I allowed myself to really recognize how painful it was to keep myself contracted there, I made a conscious decision to use my values as my guideposts. And the first thing, um, the first thing I started doing was really holding my value of connection as my top priority every day. And so that looks different depending on what's going on for the day. So maybe it was, I'm going to go, I need to go to the grocery store today. And so I am going to be friendly and chatty with the cashier when I check out. Mm -hmm. I am going to reach out to another parent in my son's class 
and ask if they're free for lunch. I'm going to talk to somebody that I have maybe not spoken with before about what I do from my heart with zero attachment to the outcome. I wasn't trying to sell anybody. I wasn't trying to sway anybody. So the value was the center of my actions for the day. And so it was connection in those cases. And in some cases, I intentionally paired up connection with learning and growth and put things on my calendar for the day that I knew would stretch me and be really uncomfortable. And that was it. That was the one thing I needed to do that day was, you know, reach out to the executive director at the Chamber of Commerce and say, I have an idea for a workshop. Right. And so suddenly when I was holding, when I, when I kept the values in my, in the forefront of my site, right. It was all front and center for me with the values. There was a a lot of other things fell away. Like I didn't really care about what the outcome was. It was about doing the, the values aligned action, not about what happened when I did that action. And I wasn't worried about making a good impression or not making a good impression. I was worried about, I wasn't worried about, I wasn't worried at all, actually. I was beautiful. Right. I was just connecting. I was coming from a place of being who I am and realizing that being afraid to be who I was, was not a place that I was willing to stay in any longer. And so using the values first getting really clear on the values and then using them to guide my day made all the difference in starting to feel like I was finding my people, like I was open to really allow abundance in my business, allow clients to come in, allow collaborations to come in, allow possibilities to come in because I wasn't focused on what am I going to get out of this? Mm, how to, it how wasn't to, transactional. It wasn't. It was about creating relationship and away from a transactional relationship. Yes. yes. It was about process and not about outcome. And it was all guided by my personal values. And it sounds like as you reconnected to your values, it kept you really focused on what really mattered to you. And it made things flow with much less efforting, trying, working. Yes. That's so true, right? Much less efforting, much less pushing, much more allowing and a real loosening of this idea of what should I be doing today? Mm. And, and more towards what are my values telling me? You know, mm-hmm. what is the compass of my value mm-hmm. pointing me towards? Correct. Exactly that. And that sounds like so much self-compassion right in that process of reconnecting to your values and treating yourself with kindness. Mm -hmm. Yes. And really quieting that inner critic, that person inside all of us. We all have one. Definitely. Telling us that we're not right. We're not doing things the way we should, or we're making mistakes and having that uh, self-compassion and using our values to direct us towards what is better? Yeah, I would say that's true, Trina. And, um, and it's, and this too is a practice. Mm. So it's a practice. Oh my gosh. It's a practice every day. It's not like, I certainly haven't banished the inner critic. 
And I don't think that's necessarily possible, but the relationship is different. And I have a lot more compassion for myself. And I also have compassion for the origins of that voice and the ways in which it kept me safe for a long time. I love how you talked about it being a practice because Mm -hmm. when we first try to build a skill and if that skill is self-compassion, if that skill is moving towards value aligned action, it's hard at first because it's something new, mm-hmm. but the more you practice it, it becomes more second nature, but we can never neglect it. Right. It's so true. It's not like, you know, it's not like we take an ibuprofen and it goes away. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So can I share, actually, can I share a practice that I have done myself and that I have found to be really helpful in, in the process of beginning to cultivate self-compassion? Please do. Would you allow me, would you welcome me sharing a little free hack with your listeners? I gloriously <laughs> welcome your hack and I know my audience will adore it. Okay, I hope so. The way that the way the gateway in for me really in allowing this self-compassion was to I found a picture of myself when I was about 6 years old. It's a really adorable picture. I mean, she's so cute that 6-year-old. And I have it on my phone. Mhm. And so in those moments when, when I was first really endeavoring to cultivate more self-compassion, realizing just how relentless this inner critic was, I would pull up the picture of this adorable little girl on my phone. I mean, she's cute. She's really cute. And I would imagine saying to her the things that I heard in my own mind. Oh, And what I found was at first I would start saying those things while looking at this picture and tears would just stream down my face because it was so unbearable to say those things to this beautiful little child. And that little child, we all have a little child inside us, our inner six-year-old. Oh, yes. And so what started to happen almost spontaneously here was when I, when I was in that place of whatever had brought on the real tirade of the inner critic, I would pull up that picture. And instead I would say the things to myself that I would have said to that child if she had been telling me the story of what was going on. Mm. And so if, she had said, you know, like, I made this really stupid mistake and now nobody's going to like me. I would talk to her as if I would, she was the one saying that. And so I might say, oh yeah, it sounds like that really hurts. Tell me what you need right now. Oh, I'm getting teary. Mm, It's a really powerful practice. Yes it's really powerful and it can be it can be really deceptively simple and utterly profound 
it are, I'm imagining doing that for myself and I can already, I'm feeling the profundity. Mm. I'm feeling the profundity. Um, and you, from the outside, you can look at it and it's like, oh, well, that's such a facile practice. But if you do it, like you mean it. Oh, the feels, mm -hmm. the feels, the feels. And it, I think it illustrates like how we talk to ourselves. Yes, it's painful when you have those, oh, well, you really shouldn't have done that. Or that was a really crappy thing to do. Or, God, you're stupid. Mm -hmm. And imagining saying that to a kid when you're actually saying that to yourself all the time. Mm -hmm. And then you start to recognize when you hear that voice again and you can make a shift. You can say, hey, wait a minute wait a minute, what am I saying to myself? What am yes. I telling myself yes. right now? And how can I make that more compassionate? Yes, yes, yes. Mary, yes. thank you. My pleasure. So much. That, I mean, that is an, a powerful practice. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Whew. What a beautiful, powerful practice. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Yes, I am. It's my pleasure truly to share it because it really does make a difference. And wow, if, if we could all start treating ourselves with a little more kindness, can you imagine what the world would be like? It would be magical. Yep, it would it be. It would be magical. We treat ourselves with more compassion we're able to treat others with more compassion. Correct. And we're able to treat our clients with more compassion. Yes. I think that's, it, it transfers. You know, when we treat ourselves well, when we speak well to ourselves, when we're compassionate with ourselves, when we're focused on our values, all of that transfers to how clients and customers see that in us and want to work with us because we live by our values. Beautifully stated. Absolutely. Mary, thank you so much for being on another episode with me. I, I can't tell you how honored and pleased I am to have you and to have this continued conversation. And before we go, how can people find out more about you? Mm. Well, they can visit my website, at www.maryveercampcoaching.com, which I'm pretty certain you'll put in the show notes for folks. Definitely. Yeah. Just because my name, spelling my name is sometimes a challenge for people. With the um, last name of Serechia, I can, <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> You've got it. <laughs> yes, exactly. And um, I also have an open um, Facebook group page. And so people are welcome to join there. I share, um, I share content there. And that is also where I make announcements about things that I'll be running. And so I welcome people to hop on over there. And you can also find a link to join my email list on my Facebook page and on my website. Perfect. And again, all of that information, the links and um, information will be in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mary. Trina. The light in me honors the light in you. Namaste. 
Namaste, Mary. The light in me honors the light in you. Thank you. Stay tuned for my next conversation where I talk with Jeff Lambert, the president of Armed Forces Racing and founder of RacingSponsorships.net. Jeff shares his golden nuggets on the art of networking. He also shares a personal story about a major breakthrough he had early in his quest for sponsorships. And that experience transformed his approach and business. You don't want to miss it. So stay tuned and make sure to listen in next week, folks. Hey, thanks for listening. I truly hope you got something out of this episode that you can immediately implement in your life or business. If so, one of the easiest ways you can help me and multiply your impact is to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and help me reach other heart-centered and socially conscious entrepreneurs like you. As a special thank you, when you leave your rating and review, you'll win a 15-minute free consultation meeting with me to talk specifically about your business. Just send me an email with an image or a screenshot of your rating and we'll schedule the time. Thanks again and be awesome.